Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. No man I know wants to fail at anything, but especially men don't want to fail their families. So how do we get to the end of the race marked out for us and hear Jesus whisper in our ear, I gave you these children to love and you have loved them well. The Apostle John gives us the secret to consistent, powerful, life-changing love for others. The man who knew Jesus the best wrote, We love because he first loved us. How do we fill our tanks so consistently with God's love for us that we have an abundance of it to lavish on those we care most about? That is the question we seek to answer in this episode. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 24 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Today we begin a four-week fatherhood series entitled Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God. You may not be a father or may be an empty nester father, but I'm confident the insight that we dig out of Scripture over the coming weeks will enrich both your understanding of God's love for you and how you and I can better love those around us. The Apostle John is called the Apostle of Love because, among other things, love is the primary focus of his first New Testament letter. Those words from the fourth chapter, again, are, we love because God first loved us. John's thoughts must have drifted back to his memory of Jesus' words the night before he died. Probably standing in front of a grapevine, Jesus' comments were so significant that John remembered them word for word and included them in his gospel. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John fifteen five. Spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control, says Jesus, are only produced in you through your connection to me by abiding. The Greek word is meno, that is, staying connected to me. Jesus would continue a few verses later, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The starting place for loving my kids and my wife is taking deep gulps of the refreshing love of God for me. Let's try to look at how abiding in God's love through our personal relationship with him better enables us to love others. Here are just a few personal observations about how our confidence in the Father's love for us helps us better love others. First, when I hear a sharp critical word, I'm less likely to immediately snap back at my wife with a counterattack. Second, I'm a little less preoccupied with myself and more inclined to focus on what others need. Third, when I am confident of God's love for me, I'm often less driven by my need for success. 
relaxed and better able to take in stride the inevitable obstacles to my completing my to-do list that otherwise make me frustrated and angry. And then when I'm really confident of the Father's love for me, I'm less hungry for pleasure, spending money, eating too much sugar, illicit lust, demanding the right to relax on my timetable. John Piper says it so well. One reason lust reigns in so many is that Christ has so little appeal. You were created to treasure Christ with all your heart, more than you treasure sex or sugar. If you have little taste for Jesus, competing pleasures will triumph. Plead with God for the satisfaction you don't have. Quote Psalm ninety fourteen to him. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Then look, look, look at the most magnificent person in the universe until you see him the way he is. Fifth, when I am fully confident of God's love, I default a little more in my free time to serving God's goals, asking, how can I use this next 30 minutes well? What's on God's heart right now? Sixth, when I'm more confident of God's love, I'm less preoccupied with my feelings. Expressing them is vital for spiritual and emotional health, but I'm more content listening right now. Seventh, when I'm confident of God's love and filling my tank with that love, I'm less angry and judgmental towards others when I see their failures. When I've been taking a daily shower, soaking in God's unconditional love for me, despite my sinful heart, that grace just kind of oozes out and pushes out that judgmental arrogance and resentment towards others' failures. How can I expect them to be perfect when I mess up so much? Finally, the result of confidence in the Father's love for me helps me be less lazy less mad at God for not making my life easy. I become less inclined to get frustrated with God for allowing the little things that go wrong in this fallen world to bother me and more inclined to smile inwardly at God's relentless commitment to building Christ-like character in me, which cannot happen without pain. God is too good a coach to let me be flabby. He makes me run wind sprints now because his focus is game day, the day of Christ, when we will stand beside him, look back over the race we have run, and find pleasure in every choice we made to demonstrate Christ-like attitudes, especially in tough situations. So how can we more fully abide in God's love? First, remember the costly love of God for you. The love displayed and dramatized in the book of Hosea is a love so rich, so pure, so deep, that no human love can mimic it. It's the unwavering, unconditional love we all need. In Hosea 1, God says to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits a great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dabliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. God's message to Hosea was essentially, I want you to marry a whore and have children with her to truly be a husband to her in every way 
even though you know from the start that she will break your heart by being unfaithful to you. Hosea, you and I are going to completely give ourselves to people who will completely reject us. You see, Hosea, I am a husband whose wife Israel is unfaithful to him. Unless you experience the same thing, you will never know how my love works. Once you have experienced this, you will proclaim my love to the world. Hosea marries Gomer, a woman whose heart is like a city without walls. With virtually no boundaries in place, she is defenseless against the pull of her whims. Gomer bears him two children, but Hosea names the third child, not mine. She was pregnant by another man. We then read in Hosea 3. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. Hosea has to buy Gomer out of slavery the technical term for which is redemption. After years of being used by men and then thrown out like a piece of garbage, she had sunk so low economically that she had become a slave. She has literally become a piece of property. She is up for sale in the marketplace, and we know what a terrible thing that was. Gomer is made to stand naked on the auction block in her degradation and shame. She hears men bidding for her. And to her amazement, one of the voices is familiar. Fifteen shekels, ten bushels of barley, going once, going twice, sold to Hosea, son of Beeri. Imagine what must have been going through her mind. Had he bought her to get revenge, to treat her harshly as his slave? He could do that legally because slaves were considered mere property. But instead, Hosea covers her nakedness, takes her hand in his, and leads her home. Not to be the slave she deserved to be. Rather, he redeemed her out of her slavery and made her the object of his love, adoration, and devotion as his wife. You and I are Gomer. We have gone whoring after gods who promised to give us happiness and pleasure, especially the God of self. But instead, those gods have enslaved us in shameful secret sins that degrade us and convince us that no one, least of all a holy God, could love us. Our false gods have ravished us and thrown us out like garbage. And yet, God loves us. His love for us never has and never will be rooted in our attractiveness. He loves us because, as Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8 says, He loves us. Circular reasoning. He has set His love upon us. His choice. He has redeemed us out of slavery to sin and made us the object of His adoration and devotion. And the price he paid to redeem us 
was not 15 shekels and 10 bushels of barley. In 1 Peter we read, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God does not offer us a love that cost him nothing. You are the object of God's great affection, love, and delight. Why not thank him for loving you with such fierce, unconditional, costly love for a moment right now? So how do we abide in God's love for us? First, by remembering the costly love of God for you and me. Second, remember God's wide open arms to you. Max Lucado tells the story of a desperate mom and her daughter, Christina. He writes, Maria knew exactly what her 15-year-old daughter, Christina, would have to do for a living if she ever ran away from her village to the city. That is why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone and what she must do to find her. She threw some clothes in a bag, gathered all her money, and bought a bus ticket for Rio de Janeiro. She stopped by the drugstore to take as many pictures of herself as she could afford. Maria visited every hotel, nightclub, or bar where prostitutes hung out. At each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. On the back of each photo, she wrote a note. But before long, Maria was out of photos and out of money. So, brokenhearted, she returned home. A few weeks later, young Christiana descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her big brown eyes no longer danced with the laughter of youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her dream of going to the big city had become a nightmare. She longed to trade these countless beds for the secure pallet of her bedroom at home. But the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christiana's eyes blurred with tears as she crossed the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. She did. Remember these words from Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. While the prodigal was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. You can never out-sin God's willingness to forgive you when you turn your back on him. Confidence that we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ is foundational for abiding in God's unconditional love. The third way to more fully abide in God's love is to practice thankfulness. The emphasis upon thankfulness in the New Testament is striking. For example, 
Colossians 3.5, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Hebrews 12.28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is sobering to realize how much a grateful heart matters to God. Listen to these words of judgment upon Israel from Moses. Since you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart in gratitude for the abundance of all things, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, thirst, nakedness, and devoid of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The fourth way to more fully abide in God's love is to choose to take pleasure in God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. This is really the command to find pleasure to give yourself joy in the Lord. Delighting in the Lord is identifying and praising the perfections of God, his holiness and justice and love and patience and grace and power and might. There's a real parallel between lovers delighting in and drawing near to each other and us drawing near to God in worship, our gaze upon our lover and adoring his beauty. David said, for example, in Psalm 27, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. The fifth way to abide in God's love more fully is to accept the challenge of strengthening your faith muscles whenever circumstances make you doubt God's love for you or the goodness of his character. Job's challenge stands for all who have come after him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Here's something that I've learned about God's nature. Trusting him matters greatly to him. In Hebrews 11:6, we read, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Peter tells us how precious faith is in God's economy. He says, Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some years ago, my best friend Rick told me a story that helped me understand our Heavenly Father's desire for us to trust Him. My friend Rick was mad. He and his six-year-old had climbed all the way to the top of the sliding board at the water park. But then Michael looked down the slide and stopped dead in his tracks. Michael, trust me, it will be okay. It's safe. You won't get hurt. Close your eyes if you have to. Come on, you can do it. Come on, go. But Michael would not budge. Michael, trust me, I'm your father. I wouldn't let anything harmful happen to you. 
but Michael refused to go down. The two of them had to climb all the way back down the ladder. Later, Rick remarked, I was so angry that Michael refused to trust me. But then I realized I'm the same way, refusing to trust God. Tough circumstances that God could allow us to escape, but chooses not to, are a test of our trust in Him. The muscles of our faith can be developed no other way. This courageous approach to life by accepting every tough circumstance as a challenge to our faith is one of the distinctive but tough marks of a Christian. But this is the life Paul calls us to. Listen to these words. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is one of the best descriptions of what it means to abide in Christ and in his love. So, we love because our love tanks have been filled up by God. May we lavishly give that love away to those he has put in our lives who need it. To summarize this episode, love is the first spiritual fruit mentioned by God in his list of nine, but biblical love is not a warm feeling. It is unselfish sacrifice that puts the needs of another ahead of my own. Such love is the opposite of sin, which is preoccupation with myself and clinging to my right to autonomy. So it can only be produced in us by the one who has defeated sin and indwells us through the Holy Spirit. This spiritual power is only released by abiding in Christ. As the fruit of the vine, grapes can only appear on the branches when they are connected to the vine. We looked at some examples of how our hearts being filled with God's love empower us in our everyday life to be less preoccupied with our own needs and more willing to put others' needs first. Then we observed five ways to deepen our love relationship with God through Christ. First, remembering the costliness of God's love for us. Then remembering that our Heavenly Father's arms are always open to us when we turn to Him. Third, by practicing thankfulness. And then by intentionally finding pleasure in praising who God is, the beauty of His perfections. And finally, accepting the challenge to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own understanding in all our ways to acknowledge Him, confidently knowing that He is directing us onto His good path for our lives. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you try to persuade a Christian friend that we need to be taking regular big gulps of God's love ourselves in order to be able to love our wife or kids consistently over the long haul. See your show notes for additional questions. This week's resource highlight is Our Daughters and the Transgender Craze, Responding with Grace and Truth, the 48-page mini-book now in our bookstore. In 2018, my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, published a book I wrote to equip parents and church leaders to help the rising generation to celebrate God's gender design 
while loving those at the same time in the LGBTQ life. It was entitled Anchoring Your Child to God's Truth in a Gender-Confused Culture, Helping Our Children Embrace Their Calling to Godly Manhood or Womanhood, and a special edition was published by D. James Kennedy Ministries. But unfortunately, in the last five years since compiling the research for this book, there has been an unprecedented explosion in teen girls coming out as transgender, including many from our churches. These teen girls are experiencing a new category of transgender dysphoria never diagnosed in girls before 2007 called rapid onset gender dysphoria. Our ministry put together this 48-page mini-book to equip parents, grandparents, youth leaders, and elders to understand the world in which our daughters live, providing first a clear picture of what's happening, second, biblical perspective on this phenomenon, third, a strategy to reduce the likelihood that our own daughters or granddaughters will embrace a transgender identity, fourth, practical suggestions for loving those in the LGBTQ life well, And finally, a game plan for being light to the secular world in the four fields of pediatric medicine, public education, government policy, and women's athletics. This 48-page minibook is only sold in our online store as a keep one, give one away two-pack, or the grandparents five-pack, or the small group study eight-pack. This booklet overlaps about 95% with the material from last month's May series, Gloriously Feminine. The link to this bookstore is in your show notes. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our four-week June series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God. We'll be considering what we can learn from God's fatherly discipline of us. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it, as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.